Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. We lived in our times, which were hard times. We had our interests, which were mainly literary and intellectual, and only occasionally, inexplicably, political. But what memory brings back from there is not politics, or the meagerness of living on $150 a month, or even the writing I was doing, but the details of friendship. Parties, picnics, walks, midnight conversations, glimpses from occasional unencumbered hours. What really illuminates those months is the faces of our friends. Wallace Stegner, Crossing to Safety. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today, I believe now more than ever, (laughs) is a time for literary therapy. If you're new here, Literary Therapy is a relatively new recurring episode series in which I play the Dr. Fraser Crane or the Lucy Van Pelt to listeners' literary ailments. So, deep breaths, everybody. These have been hard uncertain, strange weeks, and we're just going to take things one day at a time. I'm going to take one literary ailment at a time, and we're going to get through this. So without further ado, let's listen to the first literary dilemma. Hi, Amy. This is Andrea from Dallas, Texas, and I was just calling in to say that I love listening to your podcast. Um, I was wondering what people you follow or what resources you use to determine what books you're going to read next. I love reading, but I always hate wasting my time on a book I don't love, especially if I've already bought the book. So just wondering maybe some other people I should follow on Instagram or resources that I should turn to to figure out what books are worth it and what ones aren't. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Andrea. That is a really great question. And I think, especially now, probably that so many of us are spending a lot of time on our phones <laughs> um, as a distraction and as a way to escape, it probably is good to kind of evaluate who we're following and where we're getting our recommendations for all kinds of things, whether that's TV or movies or music or books. I tend to limit how many recommenders, how many voices I listen to. And I think part of that is just who I am as a person, as a pretty introverted person, as someone who gets easily overwhelmed by too many options and too many, too many voices. I do try to limit who I follow and why I follow them. And I think I got this advice, if I'm going to be honest, from the lazy genius, Kendra Adachi. I feel like I listened to a podcast episode she did. Um, Her podcast is called The Lazy Genius. And I think she talked about limiting how many gurus you have, kind of having one or two people you trust for each category. And maybe that includes decorating or pop culture or music or whatever. And so I think I pretty much abide by that in my regular life and meaning, meaning my life off the internet. And for books as a bookseller and somebody, as somebody who tries to kind of stay on top of, you know, hot new releases and what's coming out, I think, um, it can be hard to find a book whisperer for myself, but I'll tell you who, whose voices I trust on the internet and, kind of why. So my very first kind of book whisper or person I trust is a voice you've heard on the podcast. It's Hunter McClendon of Shelf by Shelf. 
And here is the reason I trust his tastes. It's because Hunter knows me. So I think we all understand that books, like any other kind of art, uh, Books are subjective. So a book I might love, you might hate. Or a book I hate, you might adore. And that's totally okay and normal and fine. And so when I'm looking for somebody who I trust with book recommendations, for me, it's somebody who knows me and who knows my tastes. It's one of the reasons I believe independent bookstores are important. It's why I believe libraries are important because these are spaces where you can go in and you can get personalized book recommendations. No one, to my knowledge, has ever come into the bookshelf and us just sold them a book based on what's on the New York Times bestseller list. We pay attention to that list. Uh, Sometimes we really like the books that are on that list. But when a customer comes into the bookshelf, we ask them their personal literary tastes, and then we find a book that's right for them. So Hunter, then, is a perfect book whisperer for me because he knows me in real life. And Andrea, just like it sounds like my tastes are someone's you trust, I think maybe even though I don't know you, you have followed me long enough or you know my tastes well enough to know we match or or not. Maybe this is why I love staff recommendation shelves in bookstores because I immediately go there and try to figure out which staffer is right for me. It doesn't mean I like that staffer more than others. It just means I have the voice whose recommendations I can trust because their tastes align with mine. So Hunter and I don't always share the exact same literary tastes, but our Venn diagram is pretty, there's a pretty large overlap. And more importantly, he knows me, he knows what I like. So I will sometimes pick up a book and I'll text Hunter and I'll say, do I need to read this? Or do I need to finish this? Or I'll see him post a review. He does great Instagram book reviews and I'll comment or I'll DM him and say, I know you liked this, but will I? And he's totally honest. And he'll say, no, skip it. It's not for you. It was for me, but it's not for you. That's what I love. So he's my first go-to at Shelf by Shelf. Um, He gives great book reviews for the masses. Uh, I just happen to really put him on my list because of the personal relationship uh, he and I share. On a similar note, I have long trusted Tyler Goodson. He used to be a manager at Avid Bookshop in Athens, Georgia. And now I believe he works for Penguin Random House, I want to say, in New York. And he doesn't post a ton of book reviews, but I first kind of stumbled upon him when I visited Avid in person. And again, I saw the shelf talkers, right? Filled throughout the store. Avid does a great job of having these shelf talkers kind of scattered all over their shelves. And I immediately noticed that the books I gravitated toward were Tyler recommendations. And so I now follow Tyler on Instagram. Like I said, his whole feed, he's not a quote unquote bookstagrammer, um, but he is someone I have met in real life, someone whose tastes I trust based on first of all, that he's really well read. And second of all, that he and I have overlapping tastes. So if I'm going to trust somebody with what I read next, it's partly because we have similar reading tastes. I don't really, we all have limited time, right? And so I don't want to, I don't want to follow someone or take recommendations from someone who either I don't know or who our tastes don't match. So Tyler is a go-to recommender for me. I also love following Laura Tremaine. I have followed her for years back when I think she used to go by like the Hollywood housewife or something like that. I used to read her blog. She's at Laura.Tremaine on Instagram now. And what I love about Laura is she and I read 
a lot alike, and then we also read very differently. So there are some books I have loved. I'm trying to remember what maybe recently. Oh, I loved, as you all know, Such a Fun Age, and Laura thought it was fine. But I love her because she's super articulate about why she does and doesn't like something, and she reads a wide range of literature. So she is great about getting me to read outside my norm. She recommends a lot of great nonfiction, um, a lot of great memoir, true crime, um, but also just current news, nonfiction. So I really, I really trust her tastes. I like following her. She is another person that I, I kind of trust with my reading life. And then I really also enjoy following authors. I know friends who are the Kings and Queens of this, right? They, follow all the authors. They stay up to date on all of their new releases. I do not, um, because I work with authors and publisher reps and all kinds of things. And so in my personal Instagram world, I don't really, that's my working world. Right. And so I don't follow a ton of authors, but I do follow a couple. Uh, and the one who's reading taste I trust is Mary Laura Philpot. You've heard me talk about her many, many times. Uh, she, wrote the book, I Miss You When I Blink. She's another person who I've met in real life. I feel like we are relatively kindred. We have similar both reading tastes and I think just sensibilities. And so when she posts about a book she loves, and again, much like Tyler, her feed is not just entirely book recommendations. She's not a bookstagrammer per se, but she'll post occasional book reviews. And I really trust those because know her and I've met her and I trust her as a writer and I therefore trust her as a reader. I also love my fellow booksellers recommendations. Tyler's one, but Kate uh, Storhoff, who used to work at the bookshelf, she now works for Bookmarks in North Carolina. And she and I, when she worked at the bookshelf, she and I had a, like I said, very much overlapping Venn diagram. And so I know, I, in fact, Kate and I were kind of reading, um, what was the book we were reading at the same time recently? Friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan. And we messaged back and forth. And so she posts um, brief reading reviews in her uh, Instagram stories. And I always kind of pay attention to those and see if there's something Kate read that I somehow missed. And then sometimes I'll send her a book that I think maybe, or send her a recommendation that I think she might've missed. Because when you're selling books all day long, you do tend to miss things. <laughs> And so I, Kate is another voice uh, I trust because again, we know each other in real life. So Andrea, in short, do you have people in your real life whose voices you trust? Make sure you're not following so many book people that it gets overwhelming because I do think that's a problem. And I love that the lazy genius really encourages us to find one or two voices who we trust when it comes to pop culture. I love the podcast. I trust Knox and Jamie outside of that. I have a couple of reviewers. I like, um, Emily Nussbaum, I think is one, but otherwise that's kind of it. That's who I listen to when it comes to pop culture. When it comes to music, I have a couple of people who I really follow along with or listen to. I think decision fatigue is real. It's probably especially real right now. And so Andrea, find somebody who already knows your reading tastes or who knows you in real life and who maybe has a similar Venn diagram to yours, to your tastes, and make sure you're kind of not giving yourself decision fatigue. Make sure you're limiting how many voices are coming in 
find a couple of book podcasts you trust, uh, find a couple of bookstagram accounts you trust, maybe bookstores. That's another great way. Maybe you don't have an indie bookstore near you, but following an indie bookstore is a great way to get new book recommendations. I like, and personally follow. So not on the bookshelf account, but in real life, like on my personal Instagram account, I follow books are magic in Brooklyn. I follow avid bookshop in Athens and I follow Parnassus books in Nashville, Tennessee. And those are accounts that I trust because I've been to those stores. I like their staff. I feel like my sensibilities kind of line up with um, the shelf talkers I've seen there. So that's another great option too, is to follow bookstore Instagram accounts, Um, especially if you don't have your own kind of bookstore where you have staffers you can trust. Maybe you can kind of adopt a bookstore, an indie bookstore, especially right now, adopt an indie bookstore and kind of follow along their staff picks. So that is my best recommendation for book recs, Andrea. I hope that helps. Hi, Annie. My name is Andrea Debink, and I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. My question for you is, what do you think about book rating systems, specifically on sites like Goodreads and Amazon? Personally, as a reader, I've never liked the five-star rating system, and I just don't really find it helpful. Um, In the past year, I've read quite a few books that had four and five stars on Goodreads, and I ended up either not liking them or not finishing them. So I feel like I don't actually trust these ratings anymore. So is our current five-star rating system helpful, do you think, or is it just me? Thanks. Ooh, another Andrea with a kind of similar dilemma. So much like I was talking about kind of decision fatigue, I think... The current five-star rating system can be overwhelming. That's true across the board, though. I mean, right? Five stars is used... The five-star rating system is used for all kinds of things. Movies, TV shows, restaurants, etc. And I think what it boils down to is, as I was saying in the previous um, segment or session, books, art art subjective. And so what you like, I might not like. Here's the thing. I actually don't read Goodreads or Amazon reviews at all. That's not shocking to anyone (laughs) who knows me. Um, I just don't pay attention to them, partly because I do not have a Goodreads account and partly because Amazon is not the world I find myself in, right? I find myself in, in the independent bookstore world. And so I don't visit Amazon for books ever. And I certainly don't look at reviews. I also, as I mentioned, have have reviewers I trust and voices I trust. And that's kind of it for me. I don't typically read a ton. I will say I do pay attention to Kirkus, uh, because they, I do tend to like the books that they give starred reviews to. So Kirkus and book page are two places I go to for my reviews. But as far as kind of the Goodreads world and the five-star rating system, I don't pay much attention to it because that's not where I go for my recommendations or my reviews. Now, as someone who does review books on Instagram, I do use the five-star rating system partly just to help give people an idea of what I love and what I don't. Most people who follow me will know I do not typically give one to two star reviews because if I, we'll talk about this later, but if I were to give a book a one-star review, that would mean I hated it and I probably am in a stage of my life where I just don't finish that book. Um, So I don't wind up reviewing those books because I don't finish them. Three stars for me means, yeah, this was good. I liked it. Three and a half. Yeah, really like this. Thought this was enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Four stars. Excellent. Thought the writing was great. Loved it. Five stars. One of my favorite books of the past year or five years. Um, And that's for me how my personal rating system works. I find a rating system helpful in that it kind of gives you a gauge. And if you find 
bookstagrammers or reviewers that you trust, you kind of get a sense of their five-star rating system, right? Because it's subjective. So my five-star books aren't going to be your five-star books. At least I don't think so. There may occasionally be an overlap for like a Pulitzer winner or something like that, like a book that's kind of universally adored. But I find that even Pulitzer winners or, you know, as a bookseller, all the time we meet people who maybe don't like a book everybody else loved. I think I talked about this on another book podcast, but I thought Where the Crawdads Sing was a fine book. I think back on my Instagram, I gave it three and a half stars, meaning I liked it. I enjoyed it. Most people who come inside the bookshelf and this isn't just because of Delia's ties, Delia Owens ties to Thomasville. Most people who have come in the bookshelf love that book and give it five stars. Great. Good for you. I think what's important is as a consumer, find the sources that you trust for your reviews. And so I talked about that with the other Andrea. Uh, and then for me, I don't think getting rid of a five-star rating system would work for me personally because I like seeing okay, I can skip this one because this reviewer I trust gave it a couple of stars. I think for a lot of people, the rating system is helpful and helps at least put a baseline down, you know? Um, but I for sure look at the star rating and then I fully read the review. Does that make sense? So if somebody gives a book three stars, great, but I'm gonna read the whole review too. Like I'm not just going to look at the star ratings. The same is true of movie reviews, like Rotten Tomato scores, I think. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes, I think has a great system where it's got percentages. And if I were to ever change, I mean, I think the rating system is just so easy to do where I know off the top of my head after I finish a book, I'd put this in a three star crowd, like, or a three and a half star realm, but percentages might also be helpful, right? I don't know, movie reviewers I trust, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the Popcast, and The Ringer. The, um, those are people who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, give percentage ratings, and I think that's really helpful too. So maybe the percentage rating system is better or more useful. I guess the short answer is I don't mind the star rating system if it's from a reviewer I trust. If it's on Goodreads or Amazon, chances are those people are strangers to me. They don't know my literary tastes and I don't know theirs. So I'm probably not going to listen to those voices at all. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I'm definitely not. But if it's somebody I follow on Instagram and I know they have similar tastes to me, then those are ratings I'm going to trust. Does that make sense? I totally get where you're coming from because I think a lot of times those reviews can let us down or those star ratings can let us down. I think the key is to find reviewers and raters, if that's the right word, that you trust. How do you feel about not finishing books, beginning a book, just not feeling it and never coming back to it again? That question came from Amanda. Amanda I did not intend, I don't think I purposefully intended for these to all kind of be on theme, but it sounds like they kind of are. So here's the thing. I think Gretchen Rubin was maybe the first person I read who kind of gave me permission to stop reading books I didn't like. The truth is I didn't do that a lot anyway. I like a wide range of literature, um, a wide range of genres. So chances are if I finish a book, I liked it whether I liked it three stars worth or five stars worth depends. Uh, but generally speaking, if I finish a book these days, it's because I liked it or at least was compelled to finish it. Like there's a book I read recently. I'll review it. I'm sure for reading recap that Olivia and I both read and I finished and just thought, Oh, I think I could have skipped that, but I kept reading because I was compelled enough to keep going. So I think that probably means it's at least a 
three star, maybe two and a half. But the truth is there are so many books. And even though some of us perhaps right now have more time than usual, although I find myself to have less, I don't know if I'm alone in that, but I feel like these um, past couple weeks of quarantine, I have actually found myself with less brain width um, and less (laughs) room for reading life. So I try not to feel guilty at all for books I don't finish or don't love. Also, we're allowed to hate things. So if you read a book and you don't like it, that doesn't mean it was a waste of time. It means it was teaching you and shaping your tastes. There are plenty of books where I've finished, thought that was fine, but it wasn't the best book I've ever read. But then I think about why that is. And, you know, it's helping me cultivate my tastes and curate my I don't know, reading personality. It helps me know, okay, I love character-driven books. Um, I like plot-driven books when they look like this. I love historical fiction, but it better look like this. Or I get bored by this. Like I think all books, actually anything we consume, any media we consume has the ability to teach us something about ourselves. And so even a book that I don't like, but I do finish, I learned something from it. Um, And maybe that's the nerd (laughs) in me that finds that to be true. But basically, life is too short to finish all the books. Like there's not enough time in the day. So if you're feeling guilty because you're not, because maybe you don't want to finish a book, don't. Don't feel guilty about that. And that's easier said than done. Um, If you've bought the book, and maybe that's part of your guilt, right? Is you bought it, you bought the book. Uh, give it to a friend who you think will like it. Uh, chances are there's somebody out there who that book was for. I have found so often in my reading life that just because I didn't like a book doesn't mean somebody else won't love it. We have a lot of little free libraries in downtown Thomasville. Um, I probably three weeks ago, before before this crisis escalated, I took some books to the little free library. They were books I had either read or had not even gotten around to because. I'm drowning in ARCs at my house. And I took them to the Little Free Library, and I trust that they made their way into the right reader's hands. Sometimes I will finish a book and immediately give it to a friend. So there are places you can donate the book. You can give it to somebody who you think might like it. You can mail it to somebody. I mean, the best kind of mail, I'm convinced, is book mail. Even better if you didn't buy it yourself. How fun is that? Um, So don't feel guilty about a book you don't like. Put it down maybe give it a few days. I think I've talked before. I'm trying to remember what the book was recently, but I had read like 150 pages of a book and I put it down. And then a couple weeks later, oh, it was Fleischman is in trouble. A couple weeks later, I picked it up and flew through it. Um, Maybe not even a couple weeks later. I think it was months later. I picked it back up just to see if I could give it a go. Basically, I had put it to the side thought it was fine. Everybody kept raving about it. I actually read some other articles and things by that author. And then I picked it up months later and fell in love with it. Um, So I think sometimes the right book has to come at the right time. Another book I recently had to put down, and not even because I didn't like it, but I put down Deacon King Kong by James McBride. I put it down in part because of where my brain has been at the last few weeks. I have not been able to read very much at all. And we'll talk about this more with another another question, but I've had a hard time with reading and I really liked Deacon King Kong. I thought it was super well-written, relatively compelling, very character-driven, not plot-driven. And as a result, I was putting, putting it down and not really feeling incentive to pick it back up. And I don't think that that is James McBride's fault. I don't think that is Deacon King Kong's fault. I think it is my brain's fault. (laughs) I think 
think it is uh, the coronavirus's fault. And so I am going to keep that one in my house. And in a few weeks, I'll pick it up, uh, you know, or a few months, I'll pick it up and try it again. I think it kind of depends on you which books you keep in your house to try again later and which you say, meh, I'm done with that. And for me, that's it's very much just a gut, okay, I'm not going to read that. Um, or, oh, I think I'm still... I think I'm still going to give that one another go. So try to alleviate any guilt you may have by not finishing a book. Life is too short, you know, and, and maybe evaluate why you don't want to finish it is because, is it because you don't like it? Is it because the worldview of the author is different from yours? Um, Is it because the writing isn't good? I mean, evaluate why so that you can learn from it and so that it can help you pick the right book next time. Or if it's something like like sometimes I read books that I really like, but the author and I maybe disagree on basic worldview. That's fine. Um, We are fully capable of reading books by and about things that we, I don't know, don't always agree 100% with. So I think it's really important to ask yourself why you don't like the book. um, And then using, after asking that question, really decide, okay, I've, I've taken what I can from this book. It's almost the Marie Kondo principle, right? Like you've taken all you can from that item <laughs> and now it needs to go somewhere else. So yeah, Gretchen Rubin really helped me to not feel guilty because again, life is too short. Also the bookshelf helps me not feel guilty because there are so many books. And in my job, I am required to read so many books or, or to do my job well, I feel like I need to read a lot of books. And so if I get bogged down by one, I often tell myself, nope, I don't have time for this. Uh, I need to move on. And that helps me a lot. It helps me because I'm thinking of readers like you, uh, who I want to be a book whisperer for. Uh, That means I can't waste my time with books I don't love or with books, maybe even that's not the right phrase. I don't want to waste my time with books I don't intend to finish because there are books I finish that I don't love and I'm grateful for them and I learn something from them. But sometimes a book just is not for me and that is totally okay. Uh, And so it is totally okay. Amanda, if you do not like a book, you can put that book down. But if you're a completionist like me or an overachiever, a recovering overachiever like me, I understand why that's difficult. Maybe it will help you to ask yourself, what did I learn from this? And then move on. I think that's a good question to ask. Hi, Annie. My literary dilemma is that I have never read the Harry Potter series. Obviously, it's been long around long enough that I know the story. I've seen a couple of the movies, so I know the gist, the characters. Um, what I want to know is, is it too late for me? Am I past the age of really enjoying it, or um, should I dive in? Thanks. Hi, Heather. I'm so jealous that you've not read Harry Potter for the first time. Look, now is the perfect time to embark on this journey. I, and I'm not just saying that, I feel like the only thing, and again, at the end of this episode, you'll hear me say it, the only book I have been able to finish in the past couple weeks is An Old Fashioned Girl by Louisa May Alcott. I last picked that book up probably a couple of Christmases ago. I pick it up in times of overwhelm. Um, I have reread parts of it I've reread the whole book multiple times, but I've also read snippets of it. And I picked it up this past week thinking I would just read a couple of snippets before bed, never intending to read the whole thing all over again. But I did. (laughs) Um, And it was so comforting to me. For a lot of people I know, and myself included to some extent, Harry Potter is that comforting series. I just had a customer come in on Saturday. She had called the shop and she said, 
do y'all have Harry Potter in stock? And we had, we had them. And so she ordered the first two over the phone. We had it for her at curbside pickup, uh, because that was what she knew she could handle during these really hard, tough, uncertain. I mean, I feel like I just keep saying the same words over and over again, these, these frustratingly difficult days. So you've never read Harry Potter. I think it's totally fine that you've seen some of the movies. Like that doesn't hurt your cause. I firmly believe in the case of the Harry Potter books versus movie debate, which I hope we've kind of moved past, right? Like movies are just a different form of art. But if we're going to go there, the books to me are just so much more enjoyable because there's so much more packed into them. At the same time, um, I want to encourage you to pick these up because I think they are entirely put downable, meaning I think you can binge read them for sure. But if you are a young mom or if you find yourself at home with all of your children and your husband, uh, I think they are able to read the chapters, as I recall, are fairly short. You can read the chapter, put it down, help your kids, help your husband, help your wife, and then you can move on, you know, to the next chapter. So in other words, if you are living a life right now with a lot of interruptions, I think Harry Potter has grace for you. And so I think now is the perfect time to read the books. And while we're all quarantined, you could read book one and then watch the movie of, of book one. Like you could watch the first movie, read book two, watch the second movie. I just think go for it. Like now is the time. I have often said out loud, and I'm somewhat regretting it now, but I've often told Jordan, I just wish grownups had a version of spring break or summer vacation. Um, Jordan and I are not teachers. We don't have children yet. And so for us, the seasons can certainly um, fade into the, the other, but, and look, I feel like Olivia and I at the bookshelf are working harder than ever. So this does not necessarily apply to me, but for a lot of people I know, the blessing in all of this, and let me be clear that this is all horrible, (laughs) but if there is a silver lining or some good to come of it, I think for a lot of families and for a lot of people, the good that is coming from it is to be able to enjoy the quiet, to take a breather, to spend time at home, And so a comforting book series that you've not had the time to read before now, but now you might have the time. I think, I think now is great. Um, I also would encourage you if you're more of an audiobook listener, I have people in my life who adored the audiobooks of the Harry Potter series. So that might be another option for you too, while you're, I don't know, cleaning the kitchen or trying to work from home, uh, doing all these things that come, don't always come naturally to all of us. I think audiobooks might help. And so Harry Potter is a great audiobook series as well. So Heather, I'm so jealous. Absolutely. By all means, read these books for the first time, enjoy them, relish in them, take your time with them. And I hope you love them as much as so many of us do. My name is Sarah Caldwell, and I'm calling from Fort Worth, Texas. I have been a listener of your podcast for quite some time. And as I consider you my book whisperer, I'm really hoping you can help with my reading dilemma. Currently, I am having a hard time finding some fiction that I um, would love to get into reading. I have been struggling. I have found different novels and started them and just not been able to keep my interest up in them. I am a big fan of nonfiction and spiritual memoir, and I have a lot of those books on my plate already. But my conundrum is I would love to find a great 
fiction uh, book, a great novel to sink my teeth into right now. To give you an idea of my tastes, my favorite uh, fiction reads from 2019 were The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall. I think that was probably my favorite novel that I've read in the last five to six years. I also really loved Recursion by Blake Crouch. Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. Um, I really, really love an authentic narrator and an interesting voice in the narration of my fiction. That's really interesting to me. I love strong, plucky heroines. Um, that's something I also really enjoy. And I'm hoping that you can help me out. I would love to get into a good book right now. So hope you can help me out. I know you can. Thanks so much. I love your podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for loving the podcast. That makes me so happy. Look, it sounds like you and I have really overlapping tastes. And I think I have provided this bit of feedback uh, before, if not on the podcast, then in the bookshelf at the store. If you are normally a nonfiction reader, first of all, I salute you and I commend you because I love meeting people who love nonfiction. And if you if your desire is to try to read more fiction, then take those nonfiction tastes that you have and those nonfiction interests that you have and find fictional books that appeal to those tastes. So it sounds to me like you like books that really grapple with faith and identity, which me too, I think that's where our tastes are really similar. You also like, you said, plucky heroines, and so I've got some recommendations for that. But in general, in your reading life, pay attention to why you loved the most recent nonfiction book you loved. Was it the writing style? Was it the subject matter? If it was the subject matter, that easily can translate, I'm sure, to a fictional book. And I'll give you some examples. So uh, your favorite book of last year, it sounded like you said, I think you said Dearly Beloved, uh, which is great because that was a book I was immediately going to recommend based on the fact that you like spiritual memoirs. So if you're looking to dive into more fiction, obviously I love Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I recommended her a lot. And if you like Gilead, then I'm sure you will like her other books. I admit to you that I have not dived into the rest of kind of that. I hesitate to use the word series, but, but sure they, they're kind of a series in that they utilize the same um, characters and secondary characters. So I have not read Lila. I have not read housekeeping partly because I loved Gilead so much. And so, as I have said before, series are hard for me. If I like one book, I kind of just want to leave my little people where I left them. Uh, but Gilead and then Marilyn Robinson's other works, I think would really appeal to you. Crossing to Safety. I read an excerpt of this at the beginning of the episode. I love this book so much. I also think based on your tastes, you tend, you might, maybe I'm guessing here, but it seems like you might really like classic meaty literature and crossing to safety is not hard to read. It is totally consumable, devourable, um, but it is quiet and there are beautiful lines to find that quote for the top of the episode. I literally pulled my book off the shelf and just flipped through it to look at all my underlinings. And that's just a fun pastime. If you've got time for it, to go through your old books and find, find the markings to see what resonated with you. But but anyway, there are so many beautiful passages in that book that I think you, especially given your uh, penchant for nonfiction lit, I think you might really enjoy some of the deeper meaning behind this really quiet, lovely book. 
Similarly, I think you would enjoy East of Eden, which I finally read for the first time last year. We did a whole podcast episode on it. I cannot sing that book's praises enough. I have begged Jordan Jones to read it. I think if you have never read that book, now is the time, I think. (laughs) I say that because uh, my brain can barely handle anything right now. Um, But I actually thought that book was really, um, really readable. And again, if you like depth and something to really chew on, then I think you would like East of Eden. If you want something shorter, uh, now this is maybe in the more slightly post-apocalyptic genre, like The Dreamers. I loved the book, The End We Start From. It's also a deeply beautiful book about a mother's love, very short, uh, about life after a flood. The Yana Lassi writing camp for girls has that spunky heroine you're kind of talking about. Um, But also I'm just trying to recommend like meaty literature. So And the good news is I feel like I have a lot of customers. I could name them for you. I have customers who read a work of fiction and then tie out, uh, take out some of the, some of the elements from that book and then do a deep dive. So, uh, for Yana Lassi writing camp, part of, I think what's so great about this book is the author, Anton Disclafani actually either rode horses herself or certainly grew up in the area of Florida where this book takes place. And really, I, but I think she was a writer herself. And so you could tell that she brought that expertise to her book. And so I think Yana Lassi writing camp could then translate into you also reading nonfiction books like Seabiscuit or something like that, where you take kind of this really interesting element of the story that clearly the author had an expertise in, and then you um, build that out and read nonfiction around it. So I think there's a way to play with your play with your genres there. Uh, The Explanation of Everything and Francis and Bernard are both books that I think were underpraised when they very first came out, and they deal with faith beautifully. Um, If you're you're really wanting to stick to that kind of feeling that Dearly Beloved left you with, then um, Gilead, The Explanation of Everything, Francis and Bernard all deal with those in a really lovely way. I also still love and adore Fire Sermon, but I know that book is not for everyone, so proceed with caution. Um, I I think that's the book I have gotten the most feedback on (laughs) based on my recommendation. I stand by it. I loved that book, but it is, again, not for everyone, not for the faint of heart, uh, but it does deal with um, some of the same things I think you were mentioning in in your message. For other fiction, I'll just fly through these really quickly. Loving Frank, because again, I think can easily, then you might want to read a book about Frank Lloyd Wright, or you might want to read, oh um, gosh, Devil in the White City, which is all about Chicago and the World's Fair and architecture. And Loving Frank would be a great uh, pairing with that book. The Ensemble, oh, then you could read beautiful books about, um, maybe you could even read some nonfiction books about music and musicology and music education. Their Eyes Were Watching God is just another really good classic that I think you could really sink your teeth into. A Place for Us uh, talks about faith, but but not the Christian faith. Instead, it, this is a book that addresses identity and um, the Muslim faith in such a beautiful way and in a way I needed to read about and I needed to learn about. A Separate Peace will pull at your heartstrings, and it's really quick, really sad. Uh, the Mothers by Britt Bennett. This is another one I recommend, partly because Britt's got another book coming out this later this year. Um, I'm dying to read it. I have a copy and I just have not, I've not started it yet, partly because of my current reading. My reading life has come to a halt. (laughs) It feels like, um, but the mothers is all about faith and its role in, and and maybe church specifically and its role in the African-American community. I think these are all books that 
to me, have meat to them, which is really what it sounds like. When you talk about the books you love, I think what you like is meaty fiction. If you're going to divert yourself from nonfiction, there needs to be a purpose behind it. And so I think all of these books can tie into your nonfiction interests, but also provide you with stuff to grapple with and kind of chew on. Um, that's the kind of literature I love too. So I think we're similar there and I hope, I hope these help. Guys, thank you so much for contributing to Literary Therapy, to asking your questions. If you have some conundrums of your own, especially during these difficult days, uh, you can go to fromthefrontporchpodcast.com and under the Contact Us page, you can scroll down and you can leave me a voicemail with your own literary dilemma. I would be happy to answer it in a future episode. I love doing these and they're easy to record alone right now because we're all quarantined. (laughs) Uh, So I love hearing from you and I hope you will ask some literary questions in the future. Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store's website. That's www.bookshelfthomasville.com. Now more than ever, we are grateful for your online orders and for your support. Thank you for supporting us and other indie bookstores with your dollars, particularly now. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, as I mentioned, I'm rereading An Old Fashioned Girl by Louisa May Alcott, and it is just the comforting thing I needed. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving us a review on iTunes, or if you are so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic. We're currently reading part three of Anna Karenina, so it's not too late to join us. And perhaps the best deal of all, you can receive free shipping on all your online orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We are so grateful for you and we are looking forward to meeting back here next week.